I think people have their little dog and pony show. Like, here's my act. Blah, like, I have an act. You have an act. Everyone has an act. Um, and very few people have genuine discussions anymore, right? It's all performative. There is a mythology around Kara Swisher, and it goes like this. She is a tech journalist known for cutting through the bullshit of the most powerful people on the planet, like Elon Musk, Tim Cook, and Jeff Bezos. You know, we're not going to get to this, you know, let's put on our pajamas and like cuddle up and real have a real talk right. kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that it will be, that's the idea. You know, the idea is, all right, look, I know what you want to say here, but do you understand the price of what you're doing? And on her new podcast, Sway, she wants to go beyond the tech world and to the heart of the matter. Who has power and how did he use it? From Elias Studios, this is Servant of Pod. I'm Nick Kwa. This week, the power of Kara Swisher. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Alliest has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. Kara Swisher is a journalism legend. She's been writing about the intersection of technology and business and its effect on our world since the 90s. And she's regarded as one of the most influential and important journalists in the business right now. She's also an experienced podcaster who's launched two successful shows, Recode Decode and Pivot with Scott Galloway. Now she's launching one with New York Times Opinion. This time, she's focusing on power. And she says the title, Sway, really showcases the vibe of the podcast. The idea of, of persuading, since it's for the opinion section, to sway someone is a nice, you know, in this sort of twitchy, horrible partisan time we're in, swaying yeah. someone is actually a, a, a better way. It's like persuasion versus debating or forcing your opinion on people. And so I thought that was a nice connotation. There's another connotation of is bringing fresh voices uh, mm. or being fresh. Uh, and I like the idea of fresh. And it's got a wind feel. I don't know. It just... <laughs> So tell me, what, what's the difference between... So what are you trying to do with Sway that, um, that's different from what you were doing with Recode Decode? The main thing that that's different is that it will really do the gamut of everything, not just tech or business. I had started to, to move out of my concentric circles. I had done all the tech people, and then I did a lot of big business people because they were impacted by tech. But tech was always the formation of it. And then it moved out to, I did a lot of politics in the last year or two, or two years since maybe three, and then started doing, I didn't really get to artists, and some science, more science and stuff like right. that. And so I was moving outward already. And I think the New York Times, if you define it as power, 
and what it is in this country, because that's really what's happening right now. It's shifts in power and who has it and how do you get it? How do you take right. it? I think really does sort of explain it. And it gives me permission to talk to just about anybody about that stuff. How do you uh, define power? Well, it's interesting. I kind of define it in a different way than other people. I mean, there's obviously traditional power. Like you can look to like who holds the big jobs, whether it's in law enforcement or, or entertainment or science or things like that. You can define it by people who have ideas to me. And that's one thing I was doing on Rico Decode that I am going to be doing a ton more here. I think mm. I had a lot of people before they became powerful. Like Stacey Abrams, I had very early when she was a state legislator. And I just was struck by her language. This was before she was mentioned as anything, really. Same thing with Shoshana Zuboff, who was a professor at Harvard. I had her on very early talking about surveillance capitalism, hmm. which was the topic of her book. And so I think they have power because they're they're starting to persuade people of new ideas. I also want to talk to people not in power and what's that that's like and how they can get there. There's obviously yeah. these emerging movements that have been there forever, but are starting to gain different either political grounds or intellectual ideas. And then I want to talk to people who are in power and why they think they need to grasp onto it, right? Mm. Why they need to hold on to it. One of the reasons I loved covering the internet in its early days is that when I got to the Wall Street Journal, I had been covering it for the Washington Post and then wrote a book about AOL. I got there and there was a power structure. There was media was the most important. Media moguls is who they interviewed, all the media moguls mm. all the time. And I came in, I was like, this new medium is going to decimate everybody. And it's going to flatten power, right? Or, and spread yeah. it out. And I remember being greeted by people there like, oh, you're in the like the CB radio area, Kara. And I'm like, no, this is going to change. These people are going to be the most powerful people in the world. They're going to be the richest. They're going to be. And nobody agreed with me. And that, I thought that was like, I remember that, like how quickly industries can be decimated, in this case, by a technology. And it's mm. usually a technology. And that's, that was always fascinating to me, but how quick it happened and how the collapse was so vast. And now we're in a societal collapse around politics and civility and, yeah. and information, really. Do you feel like there, were, there are fewer people with more power these days than like yes. 10, 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. I mean, look at it. I mean, what, what I spend my life doing, yelling at Facebook, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, really. And I was early to that. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you understand what they can do? Yeah. yeah, I do. I think it's really quite amazing that not just in terms of ability to reach citizenry, but having yeah. no accountability and vast sums of money and the coalescing of power around certain actually individuals in this case, much like... You know, back in the day when we had these giant monopolies that were then busted up by uh, Teddy Roosevelt and others. I feel like companies like Facebook and Twitter, you know, they were mm -hmm. once, you know, up and coming companies. And I get the idea that they still see themselves as underdogs. Well, you have to figure out whether are they just lying to themselves or what's going on in their mind? Oh, I'm still wearing my flip-flops and head hoodies, so therefore I'm a regular mm. guy. I remember talking to a lot of them, including Zuckerberg, and, you know, he always tried to be regular guy, and I'm like, you're not a regular guy, you're a billionaire. Like, well, I can still be the same. <laughs> I'm like, you can't. Like, you just, you, do, you have enormous power over enormous people. I think one of the things I was always struck by among a lot of them is very few of them took the responsibility of the power they had. They pretended it was like, uh, if you look at, uh, Zuckerberg is a good example, he uses terms like we and the community and together mm. we will. And I was like, you run the whole thing and you control the whole thing and you made certain you did. So why is there a we going on here? Yeah. So I was always really struck by the inability to acknowledge their power and at the same time take responsibility for it. Because when you do that, 
you have to admit that you might have done things that were problematic, and they have. And then they don't, they aren't like regular people, right? Secretly behind the scenes, they have their mm. the hoodies are made of this cashmere that you can only get on the top <laughs> slope of Peru. And yeah. the sneakers are perfectly crafted to their feet. And they're eating food that was grown by, you know, small children and who were very well paid, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just, it, whatever, I'm teasing. But it's an unusual group of people who hold enormous and potentially rapacious power that pretends that they're benign. And that's always struck me as unusual. Well, let's let's flip this around a little bit. Who would you say is an example of an individual who appreciates that power difference? The power they have? Yeah. And the, so, adults. the adults. <laughs> the adults. The adults. You know, Tim Cook understands his power. And I think he, he does. He doesn't pretend he's a benign force. And he doesn't... I've never heard out of Tim Cook's mouth, that was mean, Kara, or... I didn't deserve that. Hmm. He, he's an adult. He takes it kind of stuff. I would yeah. say, again, the adults, Reed Hastings from Netflix, he's an adult. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's disrupting, and he knows the power he has now. So w- what would you say is our way out of this moment we're in right now? Like with all these corporations holding this much power, I mean, short of government intervention, which I don't think is happening anytime soon. I think it is government intervention. I don't mm. think there is any other way. I don't think you can, you could, you know, people are naturally inclined to want to move to power and money, right? I don't, like, this is the human race. So, uh, you know, as much as we hope that we're better, powerful people get things, right? right? So I think that if you're allowing unfettered power with no accountability, the only way to deal with it is the government of the elect of the people, whether you like your officials, you know, yeah. They're elected compared to everybody else. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, there's flawed but elected. And so, and maybe the whole system's screwed and we should change that. But they are the closest thing we have to us, right? And our yeah. voices. I think taxing these people better, like, and not letting them decide what diseases or things like that we're going to solve. Like, as a society, we should decide with by elected officials and elected government regulators and the people they put in place. I think government's the only way. I think that that's historically, that's how all these companies have been brought to heal. And not down. I don't think they should be brought yeah. down and they just have to be brought to heal. So they can't be shamed into better behavior, essentially, which is, it feels like the current modality of activity now is public shaming. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about that. We can have a long debate. I don't, this cancel culture thing is not our biggest issue in our society right now, although a bunch of yeah. really privileged white people think it is. Um Here's what I think has happened is a lot of people have had a lot of shitty takes for a long time from positions of power. And then people (laughs) say, hey, that's shitty. And they're like, you're attacking me. Like, too bad. Stop having shitty takes. Stop saying offensive things. And and then cherry picking the results. It's just it, 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 Gia Tolentino wrote about a really beautiful essay on that. That's what she was talking. Yeah, that's about. in the Chick Mirror, right? Yes, wonderful kid. Well, oh, what it's a talent! That's another person like her. Like I want to talk to her right. because I want people to hear her voice more widely. Yeah. Like people's voices and ideas like that for really fresh. She's a fresh. Besides being a beautiful writer, she has fresh ideas. I think fresh takes on things. I want to introduce voices that you need to hear more of. Right. At the same time as, you know, doing the, you know, talk to Gavin Newsom about the fires, talk to Nancy Pelosi about the election, talk to Elon Musk about neural nets and battery day. Those are all going to happen. Coming up, Elon Musk, Spalding Gray, Mark Zuckerberg and Jesus. More in a minute.
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Do you feel a duty to pay them and make sure they're okay, despite the fact that you don't agree with how they feel about COVID versus how you feel about Just COVID. move on. Just move on. That's what you want to do. Cara, I do not want to get into a debate okay. about right. COVID I want to know. situation. Okay. All right. Okay. I want to finish up talking about- you want to end the podcast now, we can do it. Okay. What do you say? No, we don't. I don't want to end it. I just want to understand where you've got, but I do. I feel like I understand where you are. Kara Swisher is known for her direct interview style. And she says that she can do this because of the power that she has. I think my power is, I know it sounds crazy, but going, huh? What did you just say? <laughs> I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I think I say what everyone's thinking a lot right, of the time. Like cutting the gaslight, essentially. Is, yeah, is I'm willing yeah. to, like, say, what? I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense. And I think most reporters by nature, are, even though there seems to be like, oh, reporters don't mean. I'm like, most of them are really polite, right? They mm. don't ask that question. And then when they do... Like, for example, when you see it at play in these White House sessions, like they're asking reasonable questions. It's just that they're made to seem like those are rude. That's a nasty question. Trump always does that. That means it's a good question whenever he does that. Some are nasty questions, Some, but so what? You're just trying to provoke an insight. I try to do an interview where if I never have an interview again, it's fine, right? I'm not trying to hold on to access or get them again. And I think that's what makes right. it better. At the same time, I'm not, like, disrespectful. I don't think I'm, like, aren't you the idiot everybody knows you to be? Like, you know, I don't want to treat people like they're they're wrapped in cotton batting. At the same time, I don't want to needlessly poke them unfairly. It's kind of a weird dance. But I think I do say, huh? Like, a lot. Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand what that just said. That's Or, or that's bullshit. Like, that, 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 that yeah. that's not true. Like, why are you saying that? And it's not a, like... They said something like defend yourself. If you're going to say something inane like that, you have to explain it. Getting to the truth. That's what Kara wants. And interestingly enough, she found her inspiration for that in the theater. There was a show that I saw at the Kennedy Center when I was in my 20s. Um, I covered theater for The Washington Post in my spare time really? when I was just a news aide. Yeah, I just had a column called uh, Backstage. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> I love That's theater. like a classic column name, too. <laughs> Backstage. I'm backstage with everybody. (laughs) It's a good name for a podcast. Um, I'll bring it back. Um, (laughs) Spalding Gray. I I went to the theater all the time. And Spalding Gray, who, uh, for people who don't know him, he was an actor. He he ended up committing suicide. A very tragic story uh, of him. But he was also a wonderful uh, writer and playwright uh, and all kinds of things. He wrote Swimming to Cambodia about his time doing Apocalypse Now. Beautiful writer, beautiful thinker great actor, all, just sort of this renaissance man in that regard. Um, 
And he had a show at the Kennedy Center. I don't remember the name of it. And what he did is he plucked people from the audience, just every night, three people from the audience. And he had conversations with them. And they were riveting. Hmm. They were just, the, the stuff he, his whole contention was everyone has a wonderful story if you only get it from them. And so I really was always amazed by that. Every time I went, I went, I don't know, half a dozen times. Just these stories, you couldn't believe it. Like what these people had gone through or the kind of uh, pathos he got out of them and their life story and their experiences. And I just, you know, and they weren't anybody. They weren't like some guy or some woman. Yeah. And I thought that was just really, I'll never forget it. I'll tell you, it's st- it stayed with me, you know, 30 years later, this ability. And I think his contention was everybody is interesting. Everyone has a story to tell about their lives and their experience. And I can make it interesting. You will be interested in this person, even though they don't have a movie or they don't, yeah. you know, have, earn a sports star or, you know, run a corporation. I just thought that was a beautiful piece of art and journalism at the same time. But her love of the theater stretches way back before she was a journalist. Yeah, my mom and my dad, when I was living, we went to theater a lot. Um, I went all the time mm. to Broadway. I never was on stage, which is interesting. I, I was on, actually, you know what? In fourth grade, I played Cordelia in a really bad version <laughs> of King Lear. I know, I can't believe fourth graders are doing that. For a fourth grader, mm. I was excellent. In any case, I, that was my end of my stage career. I always thought that people putting on a show was really interesting, especially choices they made around not just the play or how they interpreted it, but the lighting. And the revelation that they would bring you because of the immediacy of the closeness, it's so analog and it's so, you're right there and you can see them. And not just big shows like Hamilton, which does send a shiver through me when I saw it, but I saw the early versions Mm. of Rent. I'll never forget that. When you're, sometimes in the theater, I have revelations about life in ways that are really profound. Like Angels in America is Mm. another good example. Two parts, very long, huge commitment of time. I went and saw that a dozen times because I thought it was beautifully written. It it was about an issue that was important to me, which was AIDS and being gay. At that time period, it captured it. It had Roy Mm. Cohen in it, you know, the person who we really (laughs) should go back in time and, like, find a way to throw into the ocean because he had such an impact on so many awful people. Uh, You know, he's sort of the Mm. font of awful that then begats other awfuls, including Donald Trump. The ability of people to get on stage and give you a revelation is what I think I'm trying to do, is give you like a little revelation into the truth of the people I'm interviewing. And I'm willing to ask a question that people would sort of, I always like when there's a sharp intake of breath when I do Mm. live events and I ask a question by the audience, like, (gasps) did she just ask that? Yeah, like, uh, like Mark Zuckerberg. I think I was the f- one of the. F- I think I was the first person to ask about these issues in Myanmar. Uh, you know, people have done great reporting on it, but no one asked him. They're too polite to ask him. Yeah. And I was essentially like, "Don't you feel guilty about all these people dead on things that you made, and because of your sloppy management?" Like, you know, I, I asked it in a, a more depth way, but that's essentially the question. Can I ask you that specifically about Myanmar? How did you feel about those killings and the blame that some people put on Facebook? Do you feel responsible for those deaths? I think that we have a responsibility to be doing more, um, to be doing more there. But I wonder how you felt. Yeah, yes, I, I think we have. I, I think that there's a there's a terrible situation where there's underlying sectarian violence mm-hmm. there uh, and, and, and tension, um, and it is clearly the responsibility of all of the players who are involved there. 
And he's like, but solutions are where I really, I think we all together, he did a we kind of thing. We here, this is your fault. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I want to know how, why you did this and how you feel about it. And he it went back and forth like that for several back and forth. And I didn't let up. And I was like, no, you're going to answer this question. And then I talked about who should be responsible. And then we used that clip in the marketing for this is where he said, I said, who should be fired for this? And he said, well, I guess because I'm in charge, it should be me. And what they didn't include was right after that, I said, okay. But to be clear, you're not going to fire yourself right now. Is that right? Not on this podcast. Okay, all right. Well, that would be fantastic. Um, uh, I mean, I think you'll do okay. Um, so let's get to the, the the privacy and data part of it. One of the things you kept saying in Congress, which really drove me crazy, because you said it like tw- I counted. Do you really it. want me to fire myself right now? Sure, uh, it's just fine. just for the news. Yeah, why not? <laughs> oh. <laughs> whatever, Mark. Whatever works for you. No, um, I think so- we should do what's um, what's going to be right for the community. So all right. I, okay. I, I, all right. So you spend all this time with these super rich, super powerful people who the average person might see as disconnected from the world. And all that coupled with this really divisive political reality we're in. Uh, So I'm just curious, I mean, like, how hopeful are you really for the future? Well, it's hard not to be like, oh, Jesus. You wake up and you're like, no. Like, like when <laughs> you're sort of like, I'm getting back in bed. Like, what the hell? And at the same time, I, I do think it everything is arrayed against the forces of good. <laughs> they just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I, I always, I use this example a lot, this idea of Star Wars versus Star Trek point of view of the universe. Yeah. Right? Like, Star Trek is like, we're all going to be together and we're going to figure it out. And even the villains will change their mind and become with us, you know, and be part of our team of multiracial, multicultural, multi everything, you know, uh, group. And we'll all pull together as a team and we'll beat evil. And every episode that it never ends sadly on that show. You know what yeah. I mean? And then you have the Star Wars themes, which are all about the Empire always striking back, <laughs> right? No matter yeah. what these people do. We're going to, you know, we put up our sword. We're going to do the fight. It doesn't end well for anybody in that movie. It just doesn't. Yeah. They die, like, right? And badly. <laughs> and and so I don't know why I'm so up given how dire everything is. Like, I have no idea why that is. But I do think, I still do think that individual people at a price can change things. And I want to put a focus on both the bad people doing these things and understanding their evil natures, essentially, and the good people. And I think that really great big ideas do move humanity forward. Just like in Angels in America, the the line at the end is, the world only spins forward. I was in the middle, I didn't, I had a lot of friends uh, who died of AIDS. I remember being, it was dire, right? Like, it was like, we're never going to solve this. And then we slowly, the community slowly worked its way out of it, right? And gay people were never going to get rights. And then everyone's getting married. I have another new baby. Like, yeah. I never would have thought that, right? And and here we are. And then history then slaps you back, and then you push forward. And so I do have a sense that it's really important to put a light on the people who are pushing us forward, despite all that we're dragging behind us. And I think that's what I, I'm going for here in a lot of ways. Very, very last question. Um Dream guest, one dead, one alive. Oh, that's a good question. You're a good interviewer, Nick. Oh, I appreciate that. Gosh, that's a really interesting question. I think about that a lot. Obviously, Trump. I'd, I'd like a go in oh, him man. too. Everybody would, right? He seems to like talk to the a door. There's a, like he's like, I'll talk to you. <laughs> like he's talking to everyone. So 
I don't know. I mean, I'm so hostile to him on Twitter. I think he'd love it. <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> well, Putin, I guess. I think Putin's a fantastically evil person. It, mm. Not fantastic in any way, but just like, I'd really like to have a real conversation with him. I don't, I don't understand what motivates that person. Uh, dead? Oh, so many people. Cleopatra, I'd love to interview. Uh, Julius Caesar, <laughs> I'd like to interview. Shakespeare, I think would be. Like, I'm back with white guys again. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't get away from them. All right, here's one who is not a white guy, which everyone always portrays as. But Jesus. I'd like to interview Jesus. The historical Jesus. Like at the time or like if he can pop up right now and you... Well, he's coming back. I don't know if you know that. Right. Well, some people tell us. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> he's coming back and he's real pissed. He's going to be real pissed. Um, Jesus, the historical Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a... I, I don't think I've ever heard that answer before. I think that that's a, that's a really... I'm going with Jesus, Nick. Well... How much do I get for that? You get 500 points. Uh, what would be your first question to Jesus? So you're back. <laughs> How'd you do Good it? To, glad you're back. Tell us how that worked. Tell us how you how you did that resurrection thing. Thanks. What would be your question for Jesus? Kara, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. No, I really seriously, Nick, this. what would be your question for well, Jesus? My question is, this, um, did you ever think everybody would fuck us up this hard and because of you? Oh, <laughs> that would be my question. Interesting. I mean, because that, that's the thing that we're very afraid of, that somebody misunderstood what I was trying to do. Right. And turns me into, I think like a lot of celebrities probably deal with this, where they have a certain idea of something that they're going for. Right. Artists do this all the time. I would say, was it worth it, the death? Was it worth it? Or would you rather have your father's flooded everybody, just like the Noah era? Like, did you? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it was worth it? Oh my God, every evangelical is going to come after me now, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't care. Whatever. A book in Jesus. <laughs> On sway. Um. <laughs> uh, Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this, and I've been a fan of your work for so long. Thank you so much. Serving a Pod is written and hosted by me, Nick Kwa. You can check out more episodes at alias.com slash servantofpod. The show is produced by Andrea Zwahe, Jessica Alpert, and John Parati at Rococo Punch. Web design by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Logo and branding by Leo G. Thanks to the team at Alias Studios, including Christian Hayford, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Moeller, and Leo G. Servant a Pod is a production of Alias Studios. Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.